Hello guys and welcome to episode 52 of the Worldwide Chelsea Pod. Uh, I'm your host Matt presenting a, quite a special show today. We've got two new guests. Um, first of all we have Patrick who is a contributor for the Chelsea Social on Twitter. How are you doing my friends? I'm doing well Matt. How about yourself? Uh, doing better after that result. I wasn't, wasn't too happy this morning but we move, we move on, um, especially after the Burnley result, which just happened just now. Absolutely. So we we end up gaining a we end up gaining a point on Everton. So thank you, Burnley. Yeah, not it's not often you can rely on Burnley to do much, but glad we've managed to get that done. That's... And for my second guest, uh, with recommendation of Patrick, but also watching the byline, I was amazed at how good his football knowledge was so I thought I'd bring him on today I present you Quinlan Barker how you doing my friend hey man thank you for having me on I'm doing yeah a lot better thanks to the uh, Everton result it's just a classic Chelsea weekend wouldn't it if we uh we feel like we've dropped two points and we end up gaining a point on everybody else it seems to be uh, a, a common theme for us in the past few seasons so uh, let's see how the other results go I mean there's the London derby tomorrow but um, but yeah feeling good man feeling good yeah I mean Looking at the other two results, it, with tonight's result going our way, I think the other two are the ones I expect more likely to go our way. So hopefully both of them do, and then we can kind of not worry as much about dropping these points. Um, so going into, obviously, the Leeds game that happened earlier, um, 0-0, another goal of straw for Chelsea, and it's actually only the second goal of straw this season for Leeds, uh, which is not surprising, the way they play. Um, so, Quinlan, what was your overall reaction of the game? Um, my initial reaction was definitely one of ultimate frustration, um, but I feel like it's definitely been a common theme that's developed throughout Tuchel's periods. I mean, um, it's one of those things that we don't think about so often because our defence has been so good in the sense we've only conceded two goals in this period. But we have to remember as well, if you look back, we haven't have scored more than two goals in this period either in a single match. And the, the final third is something that's just very strange at the moment. I feel like based on, I think the rotation is good. Um, and that's why I, I am enjoying that and I'm enjoying the unpredictability of it. But I do feel like that played a part in our result today because we're playing people like Havertz, who's only played his second 90 minutes in a, a long time. Pulisic, who hasn't played 90 minutes in a long time. Uh, he didn't even get a full 90 in the end. And there was definitely just a lack of chemistry. Like I saw a lot of discourse along Twitter about certain individuals not performing up to standard, but I do feel like there was just a general lack of cohesiveness in the final third that really cost us today. And you definitely get the sense that you should be scoring against Leeds. So can't say I'm not disappointed, um, but there's definitely some positives that I'm sure we'll get into. Yeah, I mean, the attack in third was just the one thing for me that I'm even now just still frustrated with. But I mean, under two call, it's been just a same thing every game just struggling for goals even when the goals do come it's either a penalty or an own goal at the moment so it's it, it's frustrating but I think it's something that will take time over the long term um Patrick what was your thoughts overall thoughts on the game you know Matt it was a lot about uh, very similar to what you guys are talking about um I'll kind of start with the positives to kind of start from the other end um the great thing about the defense is that what's that? Our, I believe it's our fifth consecutive clean sheet. And um, if you can keep clean sheets, you're always in games, right? Well, you know, so, but then you get to the other side of things where, 
you know, we can't keep de depending on a on a PK or a wonder strike or an own goal to kind of keep us, you know, getting goals in games. We have to, if we want to stay in this top four conversation, we're going to have to start, you know, scoring goals in open play and hopefully creating more than, you know, one goal a game or two goals a game. And, you know, it'd be really nice to get like a, a nice three, no victory somewhere along this favorable run of fixtures that we have coming up after Atletico. I um, mean, I know we'll get into, into that, but, um, but yeah, I'm um, definitely was frustrated after the game today. It's, it's a little bit easier after um, Everton loses against Burnley and uh, hopefully a few of the results through the weekend go our way as well. Yeah, I mean, we've still got the London derby tomorrow, which I think's it's one of them games, form goes out the window, and at the moment you'd argue that Tottenham are in the better form, so let's just hope Arsenal can get a result for once, which yep. is, I, I can never trust Arsenal to do anything right, so we'll we'll have to wait and see tomorrow. Um, so just obviously getting into the positives first, Super Edouard Mendy, uh, another clean sheet. He's now got more clean sheets than he has conceded goals at the moment this season, which for me is a phenomenal stat. And for his first season in English football, I think, do we not rate Mendy enough personally? Patrick, I'll go to you first. Um, I think he gets kind of, I don't think we rate him nearly as highly as we should. What is he on now? Is that, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, is it is it 18 clean sheets? I think it's 19 and, it, and 18 conceded now. 19 and 18 conceded. Okay. Well, I mean, those those stats alone can tell part of the story. But, you know, a few – you know, Edward Mendy got off to such a good start in a Chelsea shirt. You know, we were – you know, we were – without going into the specifics that we all know about of the history, of, you know, the last season or two – um, we were calling for a for a new goalkeeper, right? And Edward Mendy comes in and just absolutely, you know, dominates. And he looks at, you know, and all of a sudden you go from uh, being afraid that you're going to concede three or four goals a game into, you know, you know, we feel we feel comfortable at the back, and we feel at least at the very least a bit more assured. Um, and then, you know, he he goes through a little wobble here and there, even against Leeds back in December, I believe he. Um, one of those errors, you know, like, like, you know, he had a couple errors back in December during that bad run of form under Lampard. And um, some people started questioning him there, but then he's quietly come back and done his job. And I think the greatest compliment that I can pay to him is that we haven't had to talk about him a whole lot because, um, and what that tells me is there, there's, you know, there's been the odd shaky moment here and there, but overall he's been you know, really assured at the back. And, you know, he obviously has 19 clean sheets as uh you know, thank you guys for giving me the right stats, but um, yeah, I think he's been, I think he's been definitely underrated and, you know, now there's, we'll talk about transfer talk and I'm sure we'll get into a few names there, but, you know, I think people need to make sure that we appreciate Edward Mendy back there. Yeah. I mean, Quinlan, what was your thoughts on the save from Mendy today? Do you think, um, do you think he's also been underrated by Chelsea fans? I mean, those saves are unbelievable. I mean, I, his first one with that Trey Roberts chance was, I mean, obviously the height definitely helped him out there and the sense being 6'4", so he can stretch as far as he can to get to that. But when you look at the height, the replay and, and also the reaction save where he's kind of in the second half where he's kind of, he's gone one way as if he's going for another save and then he's had to readjust. And those reflexes are incredible. And I think as a goalkeeper, you, I think consistency is so key relative to compared to other positions and as we we've seen recently with players like Allison 
Um, that if they make one mistake, they're, like, there's no other position on the pitch where you make one mistake and it immediately leads to a goal uh, more often than it doesn't. Um, Allison's had that and he's, his reputation has immediately changed from being potentially the best goalkeeper in the world to having a really shaky season and people are worried. And Mendy's never had any of those, like, oh my God, drastic moments. I mean, he, he, he's obviously doing Cruyff turns in his own 18-yard box, but I think that's a, good, that's a good thing to some extent because he's got that confidence and consistency. And I mean, he definitely has help in the sense that Tuchel changing the formation to shove three at the back on a regular basis has made us so solid and tight. And he's not had an awful lot to do uh, in the 12 games Tuchel's been in charge. But when he has, we definitely have an assurance there. Like, for example, if you compare it to our keepers that we have already coming up against Kepa, you know that Mendy is much more likely to come and claim a cross than Kepa is and isn't going to just flap at it and hope for the best. Like I feel like Kepa did a lot of the time. Um, and yeah, he's definitely underrated. I think he's he's on tr- on track for even the Golden Globe, uh, Golden Glove, not just in the Premier League, but in Europe. And that's that doesn't happen just by having a great defence in front of you. That happens by being a good individual yourself. So yeah, absolutely full credit to him. And I hope it continues. Yeah, I've, I think just the fact that he's a £25 million goalkeeper and he, he was someone that, Nobody really knew coming from the French league, 28 years old, already well into the prime of his career. I think he's just, it's amazed me how well he's done. I think people tend to talk about his passing quite a lot, but I don't think he's at, his passing's actually that bad. I think his technique looks a bit awkward, but that doesn't mean that his passing's bad for me. I feel it's just people sometimes look at goalkeepers now and they've got to be technically perfect, which for me, They've got to be good at sh- shot-stopping first before doing all the technical stuff. Um, but yeah, I think, for me, he's arguably been player of the season, or at least one of the contenders. I know Mason Mount and Thiago Silva would be top of people's minds, but I think you've got to put Ed- Edouard Mendy in definitely the nominations for it. Um, and again, great game. I think the second save, as you said, Quinlan, with the reflex to get back, when he's diving the other way. I think you wouldn't see many goalkeepers do that in the Prem right now. And I think he is really proving himself to be a number one that we could rely on for the next few years. Um, whether he will keep at this level for a long period of time, we don't know. But um, I'm happy to have him at the moment. And I think he's doing uh, fantastic for his first season. Um, going into another player that um, played pretty well and arguably again a man the match contender Antonio Rudiger um Patrick what did you think of his performance today um I thought Antonio Rudiger was outstanding today um and a, a perfect example was uh, I believe it was in the first half there was a, a Leeds had that cross that came in and Bamford was right there in the middle and Rudiger came you know Rudiger came in at the last minute and you know he won he won that battle to to stop what would have been probably a certain goal when the form that Bamford's had been in this season and um you know he um he just kind of I kind of felt like he kind of marshaled the back line today um you know the other you know Aspiliqueta and Christensen were good you know were solid as well but um Rudiger just kind of you know had you know, he's kind of come out of nowhere, right? You know, like, you know, the last few games under Lampard and then, you know, consistently under Tomas Tuchel. And he's honestly played well. And I, I'll i be the first to admit, I've been very uh, critical of Rudiger, you know, in the past, you know, year and year to year and a half or so. So, um, 
but but I'm as a Matisse, Matisse Armani from the byline always says, um, you know, we praise in isolation. Um, so I'll be the first to say he's I've been eating humble pie because of uh, how well he's been playing. But you know what? I'll keep eating slice after slice if he'll keep up the form he's in. Yeah, I mean, I think there's been a lot of people that I feel have been eating a slice of humble pie. I know one of the uh, co-hosts, Marv, he's, he loves Rudiger and he's been defending him to the grave. And I think he's finally now happy that he can just relax and then let everyone start agreeing with him for once rather than him having to put up a fight to say why Rudiger should stay in the squad. Um, Quinlan, what do you think of Rudiger's performance today? Yeah, fantastic. I think the, the big worries that we had um, with Tuchel changing his formation on a regular basis and not not sticking to a consistent formula was Rudiger and Christensen looking so good in a back three. Uh, and then we, we've had these conversations where we think, well, as a back four, or when they're just sitting as two centre-backs by themselves, we know that they can be shaky and be prone to errors. And we've seen that um, under Lampard's tenure, uh, even even backwards as far as Sarri, with, with Rudiger especially. Um, and he's, pr- yeah, definitely proven us wrong. And I think it's... It's nice to see that, and it's it's also credit to Tuchel as much as it is to the individual, because I think a lot of us had already written off these players. I know there's been conversations with Rudiger, especially about offloading him in the summer, which I still don't think would be the worst decision. However, when Chelsea players get onto the pitch, regardless of the individual, we have to support them. I think the same goes for Marcos Alonso, who a lot of people have a love-hate relationship with. Um, you know, But at the end of the day, when they go onto the pitch... They're wearing the Chelsea shirt representing the badge and we have to believe in them. And he's given us every reason to. I think his commanding in that back four today, which I guess you can call it a back four because Pulisic was playing more as a winger than he was as a wing back. And he's so, yeah, he's very talkative. He's an extra leader on the pitch. As Piliqueta is a great leader in himself, but Rudiger definitely helps in that in that sense. And he's telling Christensen where to be positionally and he's coming up with some great defensive headers, particularly in that first half, the one for Banford that Patrick mentioned and I think it's really nice, especially when we were worried just a few games ago about when Thiago Silva's not in the team, if how shaky we're going to be at the back. I think we're all panicking a bit. And now, if anything, our defence is even more solid than our attack. And I have no worries whatsoever going up front there. So it's a, it's a great change. And yeah, credit to the individual as much as the manager. Yeah, I think for me, the way Rudiger's proved himself, not just under Thomas Tuchel, but this season, I think, he, you could arguably say he is now the second choice centre back behind Thiago Silva at the moment. I think, especially today, where the fact we kind of did play a back four, I think a lot of people are questioning whether it was a back five or back four. But as you said, I I think if Pulisic was playing as a wing back, he wasn't doing a very good job defensively. No. Um, no. So I I think you did see like I think Christensen overall he had a good game, but he did start off in that first half very sloppy and I think you could kind of see the Christensen of old coming in a little bit um, but he did um, improve towards the second half and did get into the game a lot better but I think I feel like I've got more that trust of Rudiger that when we do go back to that back four I think he can keep that especially when he's next to Thiago Silva I think he can really keep that form going and hopefully turn us into a good defensive team for back four Um now switching over into more of the attacking players, obviously Hakim Ziyech was uh, a lot of po- comments about him on Twitter today. Uh, I think he was uh, a bit of a scapegoat at times. Um, but what did you think of his performance, Quinlan? 
Oh, Hakeem, Hakeem. Oh, it's, it's, it's one of those. Uh, I agree with you that the comments on Twitter that you see often are very reactionary and they're often in the moment as well. I mean, we have the same problem when we send in voice notes to the byline for Alex in the sense that we have to send them in immediately after full time and they are always, yeah, you have to try and keep your emotions away, but that's hard when full time's just happened. And Hakeem is just, I think, I think my worry with him is that he shows because um, the Premier League is very physical. Um, there's a lot going on in terms of challenges and strength. And Havertz had issues at that at the start of the season when you just you feel like they're almost scared to go into challenges or they're going to be snapped in two by a centre back every time they they go for the ball. And Hakeem still gives off the energy for me. Like um, Tuchel's tactics rely very much on an intense counter press and not letting teams get into midfield or attack and. Ziyech is a big weak link there because he's not he's not willing to get stuck in and I think he was unlucky in some circumstances I think if we look at the stats I mean he actually had three key passes which is the joint highest on the pitch along with Kante if I'm not mistaken and he definitely had some good ideas but there's just I think he needs time when he's on the ball to do what he does best and do this whole magician thing that we always talk about with Hakeem and his magic left wand of a foot but he needs time on the ball to be able to execute that. And he doesn't get that, especially against the Leeds team who are running all over the place. Um, they must cover a stupid amount of ground. I don't have the stats with me, but they, yeah, he, he doesn't, he's not able to execute things in the way he wants. Everything is just slightly over hit or under hit. And I mean, he also definitely has a problem in terms of like people looking at him as an individual when they kind of forget that also as a collective, we weren't producing enough today in the final third. And that's, not on Hakeem just as an individual. I mean, in the second half, I couldn't single out a single player because the, the entire ta- attack seemed to turn into ghosts. So he's had a difficult period. Whether he adjusts to the league by the time the end of the season comes, I'm not 100% on that right now. Again, just because of the physical aspects that I've talked about. But I really do hope that he comes into his into his limelight soon. Maybe Tuka will change the formation again and try a new position for him. Um, like maybe on the right wing, like Lampard was using him. But we'll we'll see. But right now, it's not looking great for him. Yeah, I mean, I think as I, I do, I do agree. I think there was a lot of um, areas of the pitch where Leeds were just attack got coming straight on Ziyech, and he hasn't got the time. That's why I think for me, it was a bit strange how why he started and why Tuchel started. I understood that Tuchel would want to play a four at the back so he has an extra man in midfield because Leeds are going to be trying to win the midfield battle with their um, high pressing. But then I felt, well, if you was going to put an extra man in the midfield, why would Ziyech be your man over playing either Mason Mount or a 10 or even going over Kovacic, for example? Um, and it was it just it didn't seem like it worked out too much. I think I have a lot of sympathy for Ziyech, personally. I've, as I said in the podcast before, I think the Eredivisie completely stopped under lockdown, under the first lockdown. So, realistically, didn't play from March to April the, uh, to August. Then when he did get pre-season, he got the injury, was out for six weeks, came back for two or three games, done really well, then got injured again. And then he just couldn't get back into the flow of things because by the time he come back in, the team was playing awful under Lampard. So, I think... The sheer lack of the amount of games he's played over the course of this year, because it is now a year, coming up to a year since the lockdown first happened, um, 
he hasn't he just hasn't for me played enough and then to try and adapt from the Eredivisie to the Premier League I think I don't think we're going to see the best of Ziyech until at least next season I just hope the club give him at least that time just to do that because I think with Covid at the moment it's such a awful circumstance for any player to adapt let alone someone who has played barely any games in the whole year um Patrick, what did you think overall of Ziyech's performance today? And do you think he has a future at Chelsea? Oh, it's um, I kind of agree with you guys. It's not looking good at the moment. But um, I think you make a good point, Matt, about the about the time that he's had off. Um, and then the other thing that's different about Ziyech is that um, um, if you watched him in the, in the Eredivisie um, with Ajax, you know, Ziyech always had the ball. You know, like he was he was the one that always kind of held on to the ball. And in in the system that we play, you know, he doesn't really get that, like you referenced, he doesn't get that time on the ball that, you know, he likes to have. But the reason the reason I think that Tomas Tuchel keeps playing him is because, you know, uh, Hakeem Ziyech can like not can do nothing all game. But yet, because he has that, um, like Quinlan said, that that magical left foot of his, all it takes is just one pass, you know, and he. Um, you know, and then and then you can have a he can have an assist on the board. There was a there was even a chance in the second half. I didn't think his uh, final ball today was really all that good, nor was really anyone's in the attack. But I, I do remember in the second half there was there was one. You know, he used that left foot and he put one in the box to Havertz, and um, you know, Havertz just couldn't couldn't con- convert it. But it was like it was one of those balls that you know you could see ah that's why he's in the lineup. So um, because you know if if our if our communication up front could get fixed and people can get on the end of some of these Hakeem Ziyech balls, you know, we'd probably be sitting here having a different conversation today. But, um, you know, the problem is that, you know, that he doesn't get on the ball as much as he probably would like to. And then number two, when he is on the ball, there's miscommunication between the guys up front and some of his ball, some of his final balls are just, you know, you know, going off, you know, nowhere near people, or if they're, they are near people, the, the attackers aren't converting them into goals. Yeah, I mean, I, I I completely agree with the idea that I think Ziek he needs runners ahead of him to get on to the end of his balls, and I think especially with not seeing Timo Werner in the starting lineup today, I think that was just the main one of the main things that was missing for Hakim. I think in this whole squad, we've got so many players that I feel some suit a certain system, and then others suit another, and I think it's it's one of them things of what system are we going to play and what players are we going to have to either adapt to that system or cut loose? Because I think there is some players that are just not going to make the cut by the end of the year for Tuchel because just simply they don't fit the system. And I think that's partially down to fail failures in the board to maybe pick the right players when looking at transfers. And then I think also the idea of changing manager every two years doesn't help when you've not replacing the players and getting different systems in every start every time that players just get stuck in a loop and can't get out of it um now moving on just generally to the whole attack as an issue i think obviously a lot of fans have been complaining they've got some pretty horrific stats um we've got so far we've scored 13 goals in the 12 games that um, Tuchel has been in charge of us. And then four of them are penalties. Two of them are own goals by other teams. 
So that leads us to a total of seven goals scored by Chelsea players in Tuchel's first 12 games at the club, which sounds pretty horrific. Um, Patrick, how do we solve? What is wrong with this attack at the moment? How do we solve it? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think part of it is that we need some, you know, some creativity. Um, I, I really thought that um, Kai Havertz is a potential solution for that. I know that I know that today didn't exactly go how we how we would like, but um, you know, we have to remember that Kai Havertz has only had, you know, this is only his second full ninety minutes. You know, you know, after this horrible bout with, you know, he's come to a new country. He's come with, uh, you know, he suffered from COVID, and uh, you know, I think that I think we we don't appreciate sometimes as supporters what kind of toll that can have on an athlete's body, and um, you know, I really think that he could be a potential solution for that at least through the end of the season. But um, I, I think that I think we just need to have um, I think we just need a little bit more creativity that. I think we saw a little bit more. I saw as much against Everton as I saw against anybody. And, um, you know, we just need to, um, you know, I, I think that Thomas Tuchel is still trying to chop and change to try to find that solution. I would tell you that in the summer that I would personally go and buy a, you know, pay for the fuel to use a private jet to go and get Erling Holland. But, uh, but you know, I know we have to get through the rest of the season first, but, um ooh. As far as a solution, you know, I, I think I personally think that, you know, sticking with Kai Havertz as a false nine for right now could be a could be that potential solution. And like I said, I know today is not great evidence for that, but, you know, let him let him build a, a little bit more time building chemistry with people up front. And I think we could potentially reap the benefits of that. Yeah, I think for me, there's a lot of different reasons to why this attack together is not clicking um one of them for me is probably the amount heavy amount of rotation that we're doing and that no one attacking trio is playing one game and then the next um Quinlan, do you think this is one of the main reasons why we're struggling at the moment in attack 100 percent. i'm really glad you two brought that up because that was the key thing on my mind and i think it's not necessarily a Tuchel individual problem himself. I think he's inherited an immensely strong attack and that comes with its pros and cons. And I think on the pro side, it's nice to see Tuchel change things up because it it creates excitement for us as fans. We never know what the proper starting lineup will be. We always consistently get our predictions wrong, but that's quite nice. Um, it's also, it creates headaches for people's fantasy Premier League teams. I know that for, that's for certain. And it, it creates, you know, it creates headaches for other managers as well in terms of like he, they don't know exactly what system and formation and personnel he'll put onto the pitch however the caveats to that are it creates an issue in chemistry as, as, we've, as we've said I think we looked at the start of the season and went wow we've got Timo Werner and Tammy Abraham and Oli Giroud and Havertz and Ziyech and Pulisic like we were we were amazed at how many players we had but then you consider how many full 90s these guys have had on a consistent basis or a consistent front three and they just it's just the numbers aren't there and as much as you can gel on the training pitch and you know and on on the team coach or whatever it is they need minutes and minutes in match situations together i think that was a big problem today in the leeds match why all these players kind of collectively disappeared was that i can't 
I don't know about you guys, but I can't name a time when it was our front three was Pulisic, Mount, and Havertz, and you could tell that they just they weren't talking to each other. I I don't think I heard them really shout at each other at all, and that's a big a big part of what makes players gel. You can have as much individual ability as you as you you know as you so desire, but if you don't have that ability to be able to link up with the players around you, then that's going to cause issues going forward. So I think yeah, Tuchel definitely needs to. Well, what I'd like to see anyway um, would be to instill some kind of more consistency in our front threes, um, have an established players who he knows he'll be playing. They don't necessarily have to play in the same system, but they have to be playing together on a more regular basis. Otherwise, as, as I say, um, we're going to have more often than not situations that players who aren't accustomed to each other's style of play will be playing more frequently. And it's going to cause the same issues going forward. I would not be surprised going forward if you know, we try an entirely different front three in the next game and a similar thing occurs which we don't want to see so yeah more consistency absolutely key yeah i mean what what would you what front three would you say is the one that we should continue going for in the majority of games i understand obviously there will be certain rotations that we will need to do but what is there a front three you could pick out and go that's the one we should continue with at least to the end of the season i think well two for me would definitely be kai and mount i think kai is a false nine is very important. Um, however, when with Kai, I'd be regularly rotating him with Oli Giroud or Tammy in the sense of, depending on our opposition, if we're coming up against teams with a bit of a higher line like Leeds and Liverpool, Kai makes perfect sense. If we're playing against teams with a low block where we might be shoving more crosses into the box, we might have James on the right wing back instead of Cho or Pulisic or whoever, then uh, Giroud is better in the aerial. And it also, if we're going for a 4-3-3, Giroud suits better um, to link up with wide players rather than with 10s. But Mount is an absolute for me. I think his best position, although I've seen on the contrary online in some people's opinions, I think he sits best in a 10. It gives him a lot of freedom and movement in the half spaces. He gets to scamper around the pitch in the way that he does and create chances. Um, He's consistently in the highest amount on key passes and things like that. The third position is where I really don't know. Um, Werner, as much as he is consistent and gets around the pitch and puts in that effort he's not converting chances at the moment and that's an issue for him I wonder if a spell on the bench might be helpful for him to give him that incentive to get back scoring so that he can get back into the team um the same with Pulisic I just he although he improved today he did disappear for me after about 15 minutes or so and he's still got a lot to improve on Ziyech doesn't feel like a good fit right now so maybe I'd be saying yeah I'd be Havertz as a false nine Mount as one of the tens and then the other 10 is up for discussion. Maybe even Callum Hudson-Odoi in there on a more regular basis if James is playing right wing back. Yeah, I mean, I, I do think Havertz, for me, has to be kind of a, I think, will, will be the mainstay, hopefully, in that false nine. But obviously, Tammy's injured at the moment. Giroud's not really played too much. So I, I reckon once Tammy comes back, hopefully there will be a bit more of a rotation for certain games with Kai Havertz. Um, and yeah, I think... For me, I think Mount on that right side of the number 10, I think you could probably say that's um, suited for him at the moment. I think for me, out of him and Ziyech, I don't think Ziyech gets in there at all at the moment as in my first front three. And then the other side, I think it is a pick between Werner, Pulisic and Hudson-Odoi. I think for me, I'd say Werner just nudges it at the moment, but you could say Pulisic could get in. I think they're all in the same vein of form at the moment um Patrick what would your front three be well I'm pretty close to being in agreement with you guys um 
I'd keep Kai in the false nine because as Matt, as you and Quinlan already said, you know, building that chemistry is going to be so important. And, you know, I think we're just starting to see, we've already seen glimpses of, of how great Kai can be like, you know um, you know, just the way he is when he's at his best, the way he's able to link up with whoever he's up front with him. Yeah. Like, you know, I love the way he's able to link up with Werner. Um, and because I want to see the best out of Kai, I'd probably go with the front three of, you know, Kai at the false nine, um, Mount is the right number 10 because I just think we're a better team overall when Mason Mount is in there. And at the left number 10, I'd probably go with Timo at this point, although uh, although I would not, I would never be, be mad to see Cho up there, but that's because I like to see Cho at the right wing back position too, because I like to see him, you know, bombing down the flanks to try to, you know, get in, you know, get in some crosses. And so, uh, you know, but, you know, if we need to give Timo a rest, I think I'd, I'd rather see Cho in that position or, you know, or or or, or uh, Yeah, I think it's it's one of them issues that I think Tuchel's got to find out. I think quickly what his front three should be for the rest of the season because I think the more we chop and change like we are, I think the more we're going to get found out. Not against the big teams so much, but against these low block small teams that will just sit back and not give us the space to run into which I think players like Werner and Pulisic thrive under. Um, just before we move on to transfers, Quinlan, who was your man in the match for today? Tough question, actually. Um, I think it has to be out of Golo Conte, Rudiger and Mendy. I might be edging on the side of Mendy just because his stops mean that we would be talking about a loss tonight if it wasn't for him. Um, I feel like Rudiger was very commanding. I feel like Kante had an excellent game, back to his world-class best. However, yeah, Mendy, Mendy saved us a point today to some extent, so I'll, I'd give it to him. And Patrick, who do you think is man of match? Well, I'm probably going to get a little hate on this on Twitter, and that's all right. I, I've told someone earlier today that I probably would have picked Rudiger as my man of the match, but as I've gone back and watched highlights and I kind of sat, and I actually thought about it a little bit after the game, Um I'm, I'm going. I'm going to agree with Quinlan here and go with Mendy, only because Mendy, Mendy made two huge saves. One in the first half, obviously the one they tipped on the bar, and then um, there were even a, there was even a big chance that were you know he was kind of going the other way and made the made that save in the second half, um, where he you know like I, I'm trying to remember the play if it was maybe a, a header from a corner and he was like heading a different way, but he was able to switch direction really quickly and make a palm save. Um, so like Quinlan said, he's, he saved us a point today because, you know, I said in my, I said in a match review, I did that, you know, not only could we have scored, but, you know, Leeds could have very easily scored a couple of goals today. And, um, you know, um, for that reason, I would give, uh, Edward Mendy, the man of the match. Yeah. I mean, I, I tend to agree. I think although other players like Kante and Rudiger probably played better over the period of a 90, um, consistently, I think the moments that Mendy made got us this point. I think we all talk about two points dropped, but without Mendy, it would have just been a loss, and we would have really been dreading going into this Atletico Madrid game after a loss against Leeds. Um, so now, just moving on to transfers, which will hopefully be a bit more of a happier topic to talk about. Um, obviously, the main talk at the moment is still. Erling Haaland um, talks are that we're that both Barcelona, Manchester City, and Chelsea have all 
made official contact with his agent Mina Riola over a possible summer transfer. Um, it's believed that not neither of any of the three teams are ahead of the other in terms of negotiations at the moment. And but it will be a bat a big battle between at least them three with the possibility of United getting involved as well. Um, Quinlan, do you think we should sign Erling Haaland and? How likely do you think it will be that we will sign him? I definitely think we should. <laughs> Whether we will is an entirely other... Yeah, it's. I think Haaland is too good to miss out on. I think well, we're already seeing conversations after the Champions League week that we had where Haaland and Mbappe have both gone through to the next round and Ronaldo and Messi haven't, of this kind of talk of a transition in, in the GOATs, in the greatest of all times. And although I still believe Messi and Ronaldo are brilliant players... Um, Haaland and Mbappe are definitely showing the best signs of being the two best players in the world for the foreseeable future. And we even I've even seen discussions where people have discussed Mbappe and Haaland in the same conversation and then gone, who would you think of as your third player in that you know young player who's going to be the future GOAT potentially? And no one seems to have a straight answer to that. So it's out of those two. And we definitely need a pivotal, um, a pivotal number nine who can really make that difference and link up play and Haaland does that so often. I remember watching the Sevilla game in the first leg where he dropped in deep, um, beat three players and provided a wonderful pass to assist uh, De Who for his goal. And he definitely, he can play almost similar to Havertz, but also can smash in 20, 30, 40 goals a season. So, uh, yeah, I think on the signing front, I might get a lot of hate for this, but if I'm being totally transparent, I feel like he's Man City's to lose just because Man City need... They need a replacement for Aguero, who's not playing as often anymore and might be leaving at the end of the season. Um, they have the appeal of probably going to be comfortably winning the league, which is, you know, it's a good reason to sign for any player, especially for Haaland, who won't be worrying so much about whether he can make the starting lineup. He, I know Man City have a ridiculous squad depth, but Haaland knows that he'll make the starting lineup for that team. And then on the third front, they just have a bigger war chest than everybody out there, I think, even though Chelsea have the sort of sense of the most. We, I think we were like one of only three teams in Europe or something like that that actually made a profit in the 2019 to 20 season. But Man City still have an awful lot of cash to spend. And I think if push comes to shove and their owners really were told by their boards and by Pep that, that Haaland was someone that they desperately needed, they would happily shove a blank check into Pep's hands and say, go and get that guy. So I think he's City's to lose, but I, I, would, I would love to have Haaland at our team. Um, if it does happen... It'll definitely make our summer 100%, but I'm not going to hold my breath just yet. Yeah, I think on the Man City front, I feel like I agree with you to a point, but I think there are a couple of things where I just think maybe City won't go for it. I think the one point I'd mention is Man City, historically, they've never really gone in for a bidding war for a player. I think when they've signed a lot of players... Um, they've always been players that they've only been linked to. They've quickly got it done. They haven't actually even been for re what you'd call record fees. I mean, most of their signings would be uh, like around the 40, 50, 60 million pound mark, but they've never really spent uh, beyond the 80s, 90s, 100s before, I think. And then thirdly, I think it's just the idea that they were obviously nearly in trouble for financial fair play and I think there is apparently reservations still about crossing that border again so I think 
like like most teams will have to they'll have to i think sell a couple of players and maybe one or two of their bigger players to get to balance the books but um so I, i'm not sure whether they're completely um i don't think they've even got their eyes completely on Haaland. i think they've still i think pep he'll still look at that messy situation at barcelona and think if there is a chance to bring Messi to Man City, I think Pep Guardiola would like to do that. And I think that could be something that could play into our hands a little bit. But I do agree. I think if anyone's going to sign him, I think Man City do have probably one of the best capacities to sign him in terms of the overall package. Um, Patrick, what's your thoughts on Haaland and should we sign him? Guys, guys, if I had the license to do so, I would fly a private jet myself to Dortmund, pick up Erling Holland, and bring him back to Stanford Bridge. Um, but um, I'm kind of I'm kind of with Quinlan on this one in the sense that um, I'm not I'm not totally convinced that we'll be able to sign him. Um, obviously, I would love to have him. I th- frankly, I think any team in the world would love to have you know Erling Holland in their side, but because um, I think he's one of those. He's, he's like a Kylian Mbappe in that way, in that he's a generational talent. Um, I don't think there's a lot of risk with bringing, with bringing a guy like that in. I mean, of course, there's always a risk with any type of transfer, you know, coming in, but he looks about as foolproof as, as you can get. I mean, he, you know, he's the, he, at, at the age of 20, he's, he, he's, he leads the Champions League this season, you know, um, with 10 goals, I believe, and about six assists, if I've got my stats right. Um, and then, you know, the next closest player has six goals. So uh, one of whom is Olivier Giroud. But um, a- anyways, um, on the Man City situation, just to comment on that, uh, Matt, I think you make up a good point. Man City's transfer history has mainly been, you know, I think that I think their think their record signing is Rodri and like you know a shade under sixty three million pounds. So um, and you know then they paid about sixty million pounds for, uh, you know, for uh, for Mares and uh, you know. Um, so I think when you're talking about what it would take to sign Holland, you know, we're talking probably what, 150 million pounds, you know, probably starting and, um, you know, unless, you know, uh, unless people take into account the, you know, the, the, um, the fee, you know, the built-in fee for net that, you know, that takes into effect next summer, what's that one about 50, I forget, I forget what the, I forget what the release clause is, but, you know, that may be the only thing that keeps it from going up into the 150 to 200 million pound range. But um, Man City's policy seems to always be they'd rather buy three players, three or four players that fit their system for that kind of money than to spend all of that on one player. But but then again, his his dad, um, Erling Holland's dad played at City. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see if he has any kind of if that has any kind of pull for him or if it's. Or what what type of role uh, Mina Raiola has to play in all this? Because you know, I think I think anyone that's followed football in the last you know ten years can tell you, uh, you know, the type of impact that Raiola can have. We only have to look at, you know, transfer sagas involving Ibrahimovic and Paul Pogba to kind of know. And even when he still was his agent, Romelu Lukaku. So um, yeah, I mean, to answer your question, I would love to have him. Um, I'm not convinced we're going to get him, but I would love to be proven wrong. Yeah, I think on your point of the transfer fee, I think I agree. I think if 
if it's not going to be 150 to 200 million because of what Dortmund ask, with what Mino is going to charge for agent fees, that will yep. push it up to in excess of 200 million. I think. Exactly. It, it's going to. I think we talk about all the things of oh, Man City have won the Premier League. Um, Erling Haaland's dad played at Man City. Chelsea, it's the idea of going to London project team. I think all of that, at the end of the day, all comes to nothing when you've got Mino Riola as an uh, agent. I think the overriding factor is who's going to pay Mino Riola the most money in terms of agent fees and the overall package. I think that could be the way to get Ireland Haaland. I think if you throw money at Mino Riola, I think it's hard for him to say no. And I think he'll do his absolute best to try and persuade Haaland to go to whatever club gives him the most money because that's just, the, unfortunately, the kind of man he is. So, and Matt, Matt another thing, just, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, no worries. Yeah, the, um, the other thing that concerns me about like Mino Riola is, um, is uh, we've kind of seen... The way he, the way he, the way his uh, play, the way he directs his players is that they'll be, you know, how long will Erling Holland, you know, be at a club? Because you know, you we've seen every few years with like Paul Pogba, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, you know, every two or three years, you know, Mino Raiola seems to make noise about, you know, maybe maybe it's time for his his client to move on to a new club, and then you know, then you have a. May, it may not be the player causing you the headache, but Mina Raiola causing a headache for management and for owners and, you know, putting stuff out there in the papers and, you know, just kind of stirring stuff up. And, you know, as, as the transfer market continues to be, you know, unpredictable, um, you know, is, that's another thing I think you have to consider as a club is, you know, do you want that around your club? Um, I think most people, you know, around the club right now would say they'll put up with anything if it means getting Erling Holland into their club. But I do think that's um, a factor that you need to consider is that, you know, you only need to look at that may be one reason I would consider that maybe Manchester United wouldn't get into the bidding wars is because that would mean having to deal with Mina Raiola with another client again. And, you know, that that relationship hasn't always been, you know, the most cordial. But you never know when it comes to money, if the, if you pay the right price, you know, he'd send you probably send anyone there. So, you know. Just another, just another thing to think about when you, when you're talking about bringing in uh, Holland. Yeah, definitely. I think you look at Holland's um, career so far. Obviously, played at Molde, then he went to uh, Red Bull Salzburg, then he went to Dortmund. It's already three clubs, and he's not even 21 yet. So I expect him to do a kind of like an Ibrahimovic and bounce between club to club. I think we will be a stepping stone to a Real Madrid, Barcelona, whoever he wants to go to in the future. I think that you've kind of, again, with Mino Rioli, you've got to kind of accept that. Um, and I think normally I, I have a policy of if he's a Mino Rioli client, I do not want the player under any circumstances. But I think for Haaland, he's the only one I'm kind of, I kind of have to let that go a little bit. Um but I, I think there is. I think the problem is this: it's just the lack of options. I mean, um, we was talking about it on Worldwide Chelsea stream earlier. I mean, for me, the only real alternatives to Haaland that you could possibly say are on a similar level and not drop down majorly 
for me would be either Harry Kane or Robert Lewandowski, which both are probably equally as hard to get out of their clubs as Erling Haaland would be. Um, what do you think, Patrick, in terms of an alternative to Erling Haaland? Oof. Um, another guy that would probably be hard to get, but you know, my backup would probably be, and this has caused a little bit of a um, debate on, you know, the, uh, the FT as well, but um, like Romelu Lukaku, um, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that Romelu Lukaku is, you know, on the level of a Lewandowski or, you know, Kane necessarily, but, you know, based on his form this season, um, you know, he's, to me, he's probably been up in that echelon. I mean, he, the form he's been in for Inter, you know, has been outstanding. And, you know, I don't know from his perspective if he'd want to leave Inter because, you know, he's under such a, you know, he works so well with Antonio Conte and, uh, you know, he's, he's in a place where he's doing well, you know, he, you know, he's, he's scoring goals, he's enjoying life in, 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 in Milan and, um, you know, but, but if you're talking about a backup to, you know, getting, getting Holland, you know, um, Lukaku would give you a, you know, a guy that's proven that he can score at the top level. And so um, that would be, that would probably be my backup. I don't know what, what your guys' thoughts are on that, but, you know, he, you know, he, he loves Chelsea, you know, I mean, I think, I think just because it didn't work out, I'm not convinced that he necessarily, I think he still has love for Chelsea and, um, uh, that that would probably be my backup plan if we couldn't get um, Erling Holland. Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm one of the people that I think Lukaku for me is a bit of a big a no no. Uh, just in terms of looking back at how he did play in the Premier League, I think he's always been a guy that doesn't really turn up into in the big games as much. Which I think it's okay with. You could say it's okay with certain players not turn up in big games but I think your main striker you have to rely on them to turn up and make the difference in them big games I think yes he's played well in the Serie A this season but I think for me that's more Romelu Lukaku suiting the Serie A more and it's suiting his game rather than him developing a lot as a player I think um, my girlfriend she's um, from Belgium so I have watched quite a lot of Belgium national team. Um, A lot of her her friends have watched Belgium national team and they say exactly the same thing. When it comes to the World Cup, Romelu Lukaku absolutely drops his performance and they would rather... They they, they mentioned the point that they'd rather Divock Origi starting over Lukaku in terms of World Cups because they know he won't turn up anyway, which is quite astounding to say. Mm. Quinlan, what would you say is your alternatives to Erling Haaland? Yeah, I mean, that's a crazy statement to begin with, that Origi thing. I, I wouldn't expect that. That's kind of mad. But um, yeah, on, on Lukaku, I'm, I must admit, I, I don't disagree with Patrick very often. Uh, well, if on anything, but I do think this time <laughs> that um, I I would be... I wouldn't be totally against Lukaku, but I would be apprehensive. Um, not on the sense that... I don't agree with the narrative on Twitter that, you know, when he was at United, his first touch was just horrific and he was just absolutely useless. Um, I think he was definitely more talented than people gave him credit for. And he's proven that at Inter. But I do agree as well, like you've said, that I think he bit, he definitely suits the Serie A more than he does the Premier League. And he definitely has a lot more fun under Antonio Conte. And I think Inter's team revolves around Lukaku there um, more than he would at Chelsea. With Chelsea, we've got an awful lot of world-class talents that 
and I don't think the team would revolve around him as a focal number nine, whereas it would with Haaland. Um, I think alter- alternatives to Lukaku, um, but on that conversation, I love the idea of Harry Kane, um, but he does have caveats in the sense he'd be incredibly hard to move away from Spurs. I, I get the sense he's maybe a bit of a one-club player in that sense, uh, but also he's a little older than the rest of our alternatives we've thought about. I mean, Lewandowski's obviously in his 30s. I don't think we'd, we'd get him. I don't think he'd move, to be honest, from Bayern. But Kane's, what, 29, I think, now, and you wonder how many years you'd get out of him. The same goes for... I saw this today on the timeline, which kind of shocked me, was that um, there was a news report saying that Cristiano Ronaldo might leave Juve for as little as 25 million. Now, Ronaldo's 36, um, but you look at his stats over the years, and but then again, you look at Chelsea. I'm, I'm arguing with myself now because <laughs> Ronaldo is a GOAT and he's an unbelievable player. Alternatively, at the same time, it, would it then just be reverting to a same situation that we've done in the past where we've not really solidified a number nine and just gone for someone who's a little older with experience who can just fit in the interim. I feel like Giroud was that to some extent, although he's lasted a lot longer. Higuain was like that. Falcao was like that. Now, I'm not sure I would want to do that again. So it, I'm almost to the to the sense I'm Haaland or bust because I feel like he's such a good prospect, both from his age and from his talent on the pitch, regardless of where he is, that I don't think any players really come close to him. And with any other signing I'd get... I definitely get the sense of whereas Haaland, I'd be so excited with any other striker. I just kind of be like, yeah, that, that's kind of cool, I guess. But I, I'm not sure I'd be totally convinced, actually. Yeah, and I mean, it was it was funny you mentioned Cristiano Ronaldo because that was going to be my next point. I was actually going to jump on. Um, so <laughs> right. yeah, I mean, that's all right. Um, yesterday on Worldwide Chelsea stream, we had the debate of would Ronaldo be a possibility? Obviously. Um, I've you've heard I've heard fees of 25 million, 40 million. I think for S- S- Ronaldo, you you kind of your eyes kind of blink at how cheap that is. Um, but Patrick, do you, would you ever consider going in for Ronaldo this summer? Oh. Um, some people would probably say, you know, you change everything. Uh, personally, I would say no. Um, I don't think at this point it really helps us to, you know, become overly reliant on one player again. And I know he's getting, I know he's 36, but you know, to me, when you get someone like a Ronaldo or a Messi, you know, you've got to change everything about your playing style to play, to have the play go through them. And maybe, maybe you don't do that as much with Ronaldo as you would say a Messi, but you know, we're trying to build, I guess my point is we're trying to build a team here. And, you know, try, you know, we've already had a time where, and, you know, as much as I love the man and he's one of the goats for me, but, you know, we've already had a team where we've had to been overly reliant on one player where Eden Hazard has, you know, um, you know, had to take over and just show his individual brilliance every game. But the difference is that Eden, like Eden Hazard was in his, was in his, was in his prime at Chelsea. We're talking about a 36 year old Cristiano Ronaldo. And I am not suggesting that he's like past it or anything like that. I mean, I know I appreciate the dedication and discipline that Cristiano Ronaldo has to keep his body in tip top shape. But I I just have this feeling that we'd have to run things through him and that we'd have to kind of a you know, create a new playing style around him. And frankly, you know, Tomas Tuchel kind of had to do that when he was at PSG with uh, you know, with Mbappe and Neymar and, you know, that, 
you know, they won trophies and everything, but, you know, long-term, it didn't really work out the way you would have wanted. And, you know, I think Tomas Tuchel kind of likes the idea of having players that he can coach. I think he even said that in one of his first press conferences, the excitement that he had about coming to Chelsea was having some young players that he could coach. I mean, he's got some veterans too, but yeah. So I, I don't know. I would, uh, if I had a choice, I would, I'd, I'd go for a signing of something we actually need, like a, sorry guys, cheap plug, but say a Declan Rice um, mm-hmm. at the, you know, in a defensive midfielder position, someone that actually would fit in and, you know, fill a role that we just desperately need, you know, like, so I go for fit of the overall side more so than just a player that brings undoubted the individual brilliance. Yeah. I mean, I'd argue that uh, that's why Juventus have struggled over the recent years. um, Since Ronaldo's come in, I think to me, the way to um, fit around Ronaldo. And I think it does eventually come to the detriment of their team if Ronaldo's not on his best then Juventus are I'd say a fairly easy team to beat at the moment which over the recent years you wouldn't normally think that um but yeah I think it's it's something that it's hard to pass on someone such as a Ronaldo but I think for me that would that would be someone I'd just pass and look to someone more for the future um rather than looking back on the past um, so moving into our next uh, little bits of rumours, obviously um, in the Liga, um, their TV rights deal has completely fallen through, which means there may be a lot of players in the summer that are on a much more reduced fee. Obviously, there's been a lot of players that Chelsea have now consequently been linked to over the last couple of weeks in regards to key positions that we may want. Players such as Tuechimi from Monaco, Kamavinga from Rennes, who I've heard could be available for as little as £25 million. Um, Bubakari Kamara from Marseille and Sumari from Lille. Um, Quinlan, is there anyone that you would like to go in to League One, League One to get in the summer if their price is at the right it's an interesting question because if I'm being totally transparent, other than Cam and Vingo, I haven't actually seen any of the other names you mentioned play. So I'd love to see that more than just reading stats online first um, before I would to to make a proper comment. I think Cam and Vingo is a great prospect. He's very young and he performed relatively solidly against against us in the Champions League. I wouldn't say he particularly light, lit the pitch up, but I don't think any CDM is necessarily going to be doing that. Um, I think Cameron Vinger is a great opportunity as a potential backup plan to someone like a Declan Rice, who I would absolutely prefer um, as my number one option for CDM. But um, yeah, um, to be totally transparent on the other ones, yeah, I'm, I'm not 100%. Um, I mean, if we're looking at Ligue 1 in general, I'll take Mbappe every day of the week. But yeah, um, <laughs> I need to have a, a further conversation with myself and have a look at, have a read into it and actually watch some more games before I make a proper opinion. Yeah, I think uh, out of out of all the teams in uh, the French year, I think PSG would be the one club that you would say probably doesn't need TV money right now in terms of mm-hmm. worrying about selling a few players. But yeah, I think um, Camavinga, I think he is probably out of the four a big, he's the biggest star. Look at it. I mean, there was talks last summer of Real Madrid looking to put in a £75 million bid. So the fact that that has been slashed by two thirds potentially 
is quite scary to look at. Um, Patrick, is there any of them names that you would take at Chelsea? Um, I'm uh, I'm with Quinlan. I I I've not really seen other than Kamavinga. I've not really seen you know the rest of them really play. I'm I'm intrigued by the prospect of a you know of a good deal, but the problem is you know, with, with these young players and we've seen it, you know, we've seen it in the past with, you know, with Baki Yoko and, you know, um, you know, like the, the adaptation that it takes for some of these players to come in, like a Kamavinga, you know, would be, would be ideal to come in and be like an understudies for say an N'Golo Conte. But, you know, I don't think he would come in right away and start. And if, and, you know, we're looking, if we're looking to compete in the next couple of years, you know, we're not looking for a guy to come in and, you know, be a young, you know, be a young player to back anybody up. You know, I'm thinking that our funds would be better suited going for someone who, you know, again, like a Declan Rice, who I'm like Quinlan, that would be my, my number one choice for the CDM. Um, so, you know, I mean, if you can get a good deal and you can, you know, you can, you, you, you're willing to give them the time to develop, which is not really usually the way Chelsea like to do things. You know, when we put money out for a signing, we're, we're expecting almost instantaneous results. All we have to look to is the attack this season. Um, but of the four of the ones you mentioned, um, I would say Kamavinga, because I, I was impressed with him when we watched him against Chelsea in the champions league. I mean, you can see, you can see the, you know, the, the, the raw quality that he has, but, you know, I think he'd had to put a little bit more onto him to, you know, survive in the, in the premier league. You know, he's, you had to build up the strength to really last as a, you know, as a, as a CDM in the, in the Premier League for me. So, um, but of the four, that would be the one that I would say. Yeah. I mean, um, looking, obviously I, I do watch a little bit of French football, so I have a little bit of a, uh, idea of a, a few of these players. I think Kamara is the one that I kind of look at and go, probably is my most likely if we were to look at anyone because I think especially if we're looking at uh, Erling Haaland obviously the majority of our transfer budget will go onto that deal so when looking at getting a DM the good thing about Kamara is he can not only play at DM but he can also fit in at centre-back as well which if the rumours for him again is about 25 million I think if there was the idea to get him in for 25 million, I think it's not too much of a bad deal. It means we get that DM. Obviously, again, he's going to be one of them players. He may take a bit of time, but I think there is quite a lot of um, young midfield talent that's kind of brewing up in the French league. I think if there is an, if there is any player that's going to come in from Europe um, for the defensive midfield, I feel like the French league, there's a lot of interesting product that are coming out. And you look at the last uh, good defensive field, midfielder that came from the French league was N'Golo Kante. So hopefully what, at least one of them can produce that kind of um, stature in the team, which would be brilliant. Um, but yeah, I think Rice probably is still, I know they've talked about it, um, uh, calling down the interest over the last few weeks, but I still think that the board will look at it. I just think, the price is the one problem. And I think if anything, that may go up in the summer, considering how West Ham have played, especially if they get into Europe of some sort. But um, going on to one more final story before we look at the Atletico Madrid preview. Um, 
Ruben Loftus-Cheek, uh, Scott Parker has openly come out and said that he, if Fulham stay up in the Premier League, uh, they would like to ask if Chelsea, if they could sign Loftus-Cheek on a permanent deal. Um, Patrick, would you like to see Ruben Loftus-Cheek go to Fulham on a permanent or would you like him to stay in after the summer? Oof, that's a really tough one. And and Matt, I know I know how much you love Ruben Loftus Cheek. I'm just um, I mean, if I'm Fulham, it's a no brainer. I mean, you know, you, you need the way he's performed for them this season. Um, you know, he he started out a little slow, but he's really come on in recent weeks. I mean, even a performance against like what he put in against Tottenham, you know, a couple of weeks ago was just a great example of what he can do. Um, I guess my, my my question is, you know, it really depends on what we do in the summer. Um, I'd, ideally, I'd like to bring him in, you know, for preseason to see how he to see how he plays and you know competes for his place and and give him a preseason and see where he stands. Um, I'm not really fully on board with getting rid of him just yet. Um, I I'd really like to see how he competes against the you know against the rest of our midfield, but we have a you know that's going to be def- dependent on you know do we let some people go because we've got a bit of a logjam there at the moment, and um, you know. Um, not quite ready to say to let him go, but I mean, if I'm Fulham, I'm going to be throwing a, I'm going to be throwing any money that I have to try to get that deal done because I think the only way it gets done without him coming back for a preseason if is if uh, Fulham uh, makes just makes an offer that you know uh, Chelsea can't uh, refuse. Yeah, I mean, um, obviously, I have got a little bit i don't normally have a lot of player bias when it comes to chelsea but if there is one it is ruben loftus cheek um so i I think i would die on my sword before i want to i'd say that openly that i want loftus cheek to go um but i think it is something that people will question i think a lot from what i've seen from a lot of polls on football twitter a lot of people would be up for it depending on the price um Quinlan, what's your thoughts on it? Very interesting one. I think while you say, yeah, I wouldn't be actively for selling him, I do think if the offer came through from Fulham's, provided they stay up, I wouldn't be totally against it either. I think there's just so many players in our midfield, man. Like You think about who Tuchel's got in right now. He's he's still got Tino Andrian and Lewis Bate going into senior training and we've got other players in the midfield Henry Lawrence is another one that comes to mind who are coming through the youth academy you've then got Billy Gilmore who's not even getting onto the subs bench at the moment who we know is a great talent and we've got Bakayoko to come back from loan although I mean he'll probably be sold but you've got Ross Barkley coming back from loan as well you've got Colin Gallagher coming back from loan he's having an excellent season with West Brom despite their form so he's got an awful lot of issues in there um, in terms of people to compete with and I think Fitness is a big thing for Ruben, uh, as we've always said. The fact that he's played 24 games for Fulham this season is some kind of miracle. You know, you hear 24 games. Ruben lost his cheek, played 24 games in a season. Like, Christ, I can't believe he stayed that fit. But he's 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 a great powerhouse, and he's got great dribbling ability and such a presence in midfield that a team like Fulham do need. I just don't think if we're going to go for titles, he doesn't have the stats for me in goals and assists that we would need from someone in midfield. When I think about midfield that we have right now and the way we set up often with a double six and a double ten, 
I'm curious as to where Ruben would really fit there. And with a double six, you we do we are a touch light, to be fair. We've got Jorginho, Conte and Kovacic as our main three. Billy Gilmore's probably our best backup in the six role. Um, but then again, like I said, you've got Gallagher to come in, you've got a Lewis Bates to come in, you've got a potentially a signing in the summer, a Camavinga or a Declan Rice. And then a number 10 role, he could fit, but that's overloaded as it is. And there's people, like I said, who's Pulisic and Tammy Abrahams who are barely getting a run in. So I would, yeah, I think it might be also the right move for his career. He's thinking, you know, he's 25, 26 now. He's got international competitions to think of. Like he probably won't be making the Euros this season. And that's something that he'd be looking to maybe wiggle his way back into the England squad. And in order to do that, you need to get minutes. So I think if he's having the conversations with his agent, it's not a big move for him to do. It's just across West London. It's, you know, he still maintains his relationships and social life uh, where he where he is. It gives him a chance to play regular Premier League football if they stay up. Um, if they get relegated, he I don't think it's the right move for him because he deserves to be playing in the Premier League. But even then, if he's not, if he's not going to Fulham if they get relegated, I wouldn't be surprised to see him leave to another team like maybe a, a Crystal Palace like he's been out on loan before or a Brighton or someone like that. But it, it would be sad, granted. I think he's been a great talent and we expected a lot of him. He had, he's had a wonderful times at the club. I remember the Europa League run in particular, the goal against Frankfurt. But yeah, if he didn't, if he did leave, I, I wouldn't be totally surprised. And I think it could be helpful for our war chest in search of an Erling Haaland or a Declan Rice. Yeah, I mean... For me, the point I'd make, I think, with Ruben, um, I just think he's such a different player that we have. We don't really have a player like Ruben who, when he's at his best, he just he can dribble past people at ease. And I think that's something that I feel... I look at Chelsea sometimes when we've got these teams that sit behind and sit in banks of four, I feel that's something we could maybe use. Um, obviously, I think my expectations with Ruben on this loan were not really... I didn't expect him to be at his best because he was out for 13 months, but I expected him just to stay fit, and he's done a tremendous job not getting any sign of any injury, constantly playing. Uh, he's had a couple of times where he's come out onto the bench and back into the team, but that's expected when you're playing constant games over the course of a year. Um but yeah, I think for me, I, I look at the options. I do, I do get your point. We have a lot of midfield options. But I think for me, Gallagher goes out on loan again. I think he's done well, but I'd like to see him at a team that plays good football. Unfortunately, I think West Brom, he's shown he's been a very good player, but I think I, think I need to see more in a better team. Um, Barkley, I feel like he's again one of them players that you could look to get money for. I don't think he'll come back into the side. Um, and then you've got the likes of Gilmore, Bate, Andrew, and I think, again, you'll look at them and go, could they get some loan moves? So if, it, if they all kind of go out the door, I think there could be a space for Ruben to come back and fight. But I, again, you could look at it the same way as Barkley. If a certain offer comes in, I think Chelsea will probably take it because if we're going to get early in Haaland, we need to raise the cash and selling players like Ruben Loftus-Cheek, maybe the sacrifice we have to make. Um, so going to the Atletico Madrid game on Wednesday, obviously we're 1-0 up on aggregate, um, but it's still going to be a very tough game. Um, how would you line up for this match, Patrick? Oof. Um, I would go for a... Um... 
you know, I would go for the back three again. I would go for a three, four, two, one. Um, you know, I don't think we need to mess too much with what worked last time. Um, I would go for a, um, I would go for a, are you wanting like to know what the lineup would be or just a formation? Uh, lineup if you can. Yeah. Um, so I'd keep Edward Mendy in goal. Uh, back three would be, um, I'm assuming that Tiago Silva, I believe, is going to be out for that game as well. I believe that's what Tomas Tuchel said in his press conference. Um, but um, I'd have um, I'd have Aspilicueta in the back, uh, Andreas Christensen, and um, and Antonio Rudiger. Um, left back, um, sorry, left wing back. I would have um, I would have uh, probably um, I'm going to go with Ben Chilwell. Just to provide some defensive solidity, Reese James, right wing back, um, double six. That's where it gets interesting um, because we have we have both Jorginho. Jorginho's out for the game, so I'm assuming it's just going to be by default a Conte Kovacic pivot in the double six. Um, and then uh, let's see the double ten. I would say um, Timo Werner and uh, Christian Pulisic. And then up front, uh, Olivier Giroud. Yeah, I mean, that's an interesting team. It's quite similar to what I'd pick, I think. Um, yeah, I think Thiago Silva and Tammy Abraham both, I think, still be out for the Atletico Madrid game. I think from what Thomas Tuchel said, I think it's uh, with Thiago Silva, it could be a thing that we don't see him before the international break, which will be a bit which will be a big miss for us, even though we have played very well defensively. Um, Quinlan, what, how would you line up for the Athletic Madrid game? I'd be very similar to Patrick, actually. I'd be going for, obviously, Mendy in goal, like back three, Christensen in the middle, uh, Rudiger on the left, Spilicueta on the right, right wing back. I'm actually torn between James and Cho. I'd be maybe even inclined for Cho, just for pace on the counter. And although James is better defensively in some circumstances regarding strength and 1v1s. I actually, in recent games, I've noticed that James has been caught out a few times with runs in behind, and Atletico are going to approach this game differently than the way they did. Um, Good point. Uh, yeah, the reverse fixture when they've kind of gone sat back and they've gone for this, um, you know, I think they're going to be, they, well, they need a goal, um, so they, they're going to be going for more attacking, and they've got a lot of pace up there, and Gerard Felix and all those kind of players, so... I, I wonder if Cho might be better suited just for tracking back, but also just for pace on the counter on the right-hand side. Left-hand side, I would, again, would, I'd stick with Patrick and go with Chilwell. I, as I've seen a lot of calls for Alonso to start at left wing back, but Alonso in any kind of situation where we, we're required to defend is just an absolute red flag. No, veto that. I do not want to see Alonso playing in a team where we need to defend, even though he's better as a left wing back. Um, I just, I just don't see it. He just doesn't track enough. He's not got the pace that we need. I mean, he can be track, he can be covered by Rudiger to some extent, but then that has to draw Christensen out to the left hand side of the, almost like a back two as well. And then he's coming up against Luis Suarez in in, in the box, which I, I'm still not 110 percent on. So I'd be sticking Chilwell there in my attack. I get, I'd be the same and start Giroud up front. I just think he's got such a prowess in Europe and has a knack for he can hold up the play if we need to go on a, on a decent counter and link up with players. Behind him, I'd be putting potentially Havertz, although I think he's better in a false nine. I think he could he could suit the ten really well. He's got a lot of height, which helps on set pieces. If we get a, if we need to defend from those later on in the game, uh, you know they have brilliant height in their centre backs and and in 
and in midfield and up front, to be fair, at Atletico. They've got quite a tall team. So I'd be, be Havertz in there for that, similarly to the way Tuchel put Alonso in against Burnley back at the start of his, of his tenure. Then perhaps Werner again for the same reasons as Cho, just for pace pace on the, on the break. Because I think that's going to be what we're doing. I think we'll be sitting back a lot. Um, so, yeah, yeah, similar, but a couple of changes to Patrick. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's a bit, I kind of take from a bit of both. I think I'd go with the same goalkeeper, same back three. Uh, yeah, the, as Patrick said, the pivot due to Jorginho's suspension kind of picks itself. Um, wing backs, I, I, I agree with the idea of uh, Quinn, and I think. Hudson Odoi on the right wing back and Chilwell on the left wing back probably is actually no. Do you know what? I'm going to go with James just because I think I'm going to play uh, Hudson Odoi further forward. Um, okay. So I'd go Chilwell left, James right, and then up for, up top I think it would be Werner, Hudson Odoi, Giroud. I think you need. I think for big games like this you need Giroud, and I think when he when you played him in the big games, he stepped up. So, with his with his lovely overhead kick last time, I think he's he's got to play. Yeah, um, for me. Yeah, and and for the record, I um having Cho in the lineup, you will not hear me complaining for one second. <laughs> yeah, I I I I do always see Pat that you are a big admirer of Cho, which is which is good to see. You you're one of them admirers of Cho that don't go too far, but it's pleasant to see yeah no i mean you know at the at the end of the day i'm gonna be you know we all have our predictions but um, i thought quinlan made a great point earlier that you know it's about supporting the starting 11 that are on the field at the end of the day because a lot of times you know you see a lot of reactionary stuff on social media about um you know well you know the manager picked this but he really should have done this and that and it's like at the end of the day you know we we need to support the 11 that are on the field you know, to on the pitch to really make sure that, uh, you know, they feel that support. So that way we can, you know, ho- hopefully uh, move on to the next round. Yeah. And um, Quinn, and just to go on, come on to you. Um, how do you think Chelsea should set up tactically uh, for this game against Atletico Madrid? I think we have to put an intense focus on the counter press that we already have. And I think Tuka will already do that. Um, what I really don't want to see us do is set um, set ourselves up to let them come at us too quickly because this game can change change on its head so fast that I think our, the cushion that we think we have, I think, is not as heavy as people think uh, in the sense that, you know, Atletico win this game, to, this leg 2-1, and they're three on away goals. And the moment that they score one goal, and if they score the first goal especially, it changes the tie entirely. Our away goal is pretty much null and void and we need to focus on scoring. So I want to see an intense counter-press. I want to see Kante and Kovacic absolutely dominant in that midfield. I want to see, I want to see, you know, I want to see Christensen and Thiago, and well, not Thiago Silva, Christensen are really good doing their, doing their bit in the back line and we really need to push back at them. I don't, I don't want to see a match where we're sitting buying our nails for 90 minutes, hoping that they don't happen to score a goal because, uh, yeah, I I just feel like Atletico are too powerful going forward to allow for that kind of complacency in in our game because we do have a cushion, but it's very thin. Yeah, Pat, what do you think? Um, I'm I'm right in line with Quinlan on that. I think that I think the counter press is going to be absolutely critical here, um, 
because because Atletico and we need to be we need to be clinical on the counter. Um, yeah, I think I think honestly, you know, as much as you know, we'll miss Jorginho, but you know, someone like Conte here is going to be, you know, th- th- this is a game Taylor made for him because they're going to have to attack at some point, and you know, to have someone, you know, an extra shield like that in front of the in front of the back line is going to be good for you know shielding the back three. Um, like I said, and we need to be ready to counter because um, there's going to be space that's available because they're attacking. And, you know, we always know that an Atletico Madrid team is generally very solid. Um, but because because they're not going to be able to sit back in, the, in you know, in, I don't know if you call it a low block, but, you know, certainly in a defensive block uh, like they like to do in European ties, um, it's going to be it's going to be really important that we take advantage of the space that they do have you know, to, because they know they have to go and get a couple goals to win the game. And um, so I think the counter pressing, I think the counter pressing and not allowing them to really get into the attack and really start up any attack is going to be vital in the second leg. Yeah, I think with Chelsea, I think they've got to know the balance between sitting back and attacking. I think for me, Atletico Madrid, obviously, they are going to need to get the first goal, so they will be pushing forward. I think for us, that just exploits more gaps at the back for us to look at, and that's why I've kind of gone with a Werner and hudson Odoi, so we have that pace on the counter-attack. I think I actually... I, I My prediction's kind of a bit of a erratic one in terms of, I think, if we can score first, this game is going to blow up in terms of Atletico Madrid are going to have to go all out for it we're going to have to counter attack them and I think it I actually predicted a 3-1 win to Chelsea but just because I think we will I think we will get that first goal and then Atletico are going to have to score um, two to get back into it they're going to be going all guns blazing I think we'll just hopefully get them on the counter attack because I think I trust too cool to set us up in the perfect way for it. Um, Patrick, what would your predictions be for the game? Oof. Um, I'm going to go for 2-0 uh, Chelsea. Um, I think that, you know, I have a lot of faith in our back line. Um, I think that, you know, unfortunately, you know, for all of us, um, I think we I think we are going to sit back a little bit, unfortunately, because we're going to want to protect the lead that we know we already have. But I think we're going to be able to exploit some of those gaps that you mentioned, Matt, about, you know, in, you know, like as a result of them going up. So I, I'm going to go for 2-0 Chelsea. And Quinlan, what you, what, what's your early prediction for the game? I'm going to take a slightly more conservative approach. Uh, I'm going to say 1-1. I think the reason I say that is because Atletico will be going for it and they need a goal. And yeah, that will exploit more space. But conversely, I think... Our counterattacks have not been fantastic so far. As much as we'd love to see the pace of a Werner and Cho, or maybe a Havertz to go into this into those spaces because he's surprisingly quick. Um, I do think sometimes our our balls when we, when we're trying to get up the top um, with with the, that quick transition hasn't been quite right yet. I think that will be slightly, you know, uh, Mount not being there is going to be a detriment to that as well. I remember his great pass to Cho in the Champions League in the group stages um, for that goal that he scores and. Yeah, I I feel like Chelsea never give us a smooth ride and they like to make us sweat. So I say I think we'll score the first goal 
But then I think Atletico will score somewhere mid to late second half and cause us to be biting our nails up until the final whistle, but we'll just edge it. But it's going to it's going to be tight, man. It's, I'm I'm really nervous, but I'm quite excited as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at the uh, current score for the Atletico Madrid game. They're currently half time. It's nil nil against Getafe. Uh, they've in terms of their starting lineup, they've rested Jao Felix. They've rested Thomas Lamar. Uh, they're both their fullbacks are back, which I think in the first game they really struggled with the idea of not having Trippier, not having Vasarco, not having Carrasco in the team. Yeah. So I think it it will be a harder match. Um, but I, I'm confident in this Chelsea team. I think the way we've dealt with big matches so far, I think I think we will be able to get through this game. Um, so just before we end the pod, uh, we've got a couple of questions from some of our listeners. Um, started off with RJ underscore good things. Um, his first question is, who do you think uh, Tuchel's top three target areas are in the summer for transfers? I'll let Quinlan answer the first one. Uh, for target areas, I think he's going for he's going for a CDM like a Declan Rice. He's going for a focal point striker like a Haaland. and then finally, I'd maybe be he'd maybe be looking at another goalkeeper just for competition for Mendy. But I'm not 100 percent on that. I think CDM and striker is a, are his priority, but um, perhaps a second goalkeeper is something he'd look at as well. Um, Patrick, what would you think about that? I, I'm I'm going to. I'm going to go slightly different. I mean, I, I can see them addressing the goalkeeper position, but I think that I think that a target striker is going to be up there. I agree with the CDM, but I also think another center back could be in the conversation because, you know, I think we can't lose sight of the fact that, you know, Tomas Tuchel is dealing with the, with the personnel that he currently has at his disposal now because he hasn't had a transfer window. So I could definitely see him going and addressing the center back position, you know, in the summer with someone that maybe fits his vision of how he wants us to play. But also, I think we also need to keep in mind that it's not just whatever Tomas Tuchel's vision is. It's also what the board's vision is, because, you know, we've, we've got a lot of examples in the past of guys that have been board signings more so than man- managerial, necessarily managerial signings, because, uh, you know, they may sign off on it, but it may not have been ultimately their bidding to go and try to get that player. Because we've known, we've seen that Chelsea's a lot of Chelsea's transfer dealings have been very much board driven. So I can definitely see us going after a centre back in the summer as well. Yeah, I think I'd probably have to side with Patrick on this one. I think um, we do. I think we do probably need another centre back in the summer. I think goalkeeper would be nice, but I think you've got Edouard Mendy playing really well at the moment. I think if you're going to get another goalkeeper in, you have to probably get rid of Kepa, which I think is going to be a lot harder than it first seems. Um, so I've, that was a very good question from RJ. And he's got a second question, which is quite a funny one. I don't want to create any uh, debates on this on Twitter. Uh, he asks, as Patreon of the Month winners on the byline, who is the better host, Alex or Matisse? Oh, <laughs> I can't answer that question. <laughs> oh man, the, 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 RJ, I'm, RJ, I love you, man, but man, that, that that's brutal. Yeah, just, Quinley is trying to get us in trouble. Yeah, hundred percent is. Like, I mean, they're they're both brilliant guys. I mean, you, I mean, on the on one hand, you got 
obviously Alex owns the podcast and he's the ultimate uh, decision maker on Patreon of the month. And if it wasn't for Alex, I I literally would have zero platform, essentially, because his shout outs and stuff have given me pretty much half of my following single handedly. But at the same time, Matisse is a brilliant guy and they, they both have something different to offer. What I like about the pair of them is that they're they sort of occupy different spaces on, on the FT in the sense that Matisse is very much more down to the not no disrespect to Matisse whatsoever. I just think he's more on the sort of you know, the Mimi side. He'll have conversations with Dubois and Hajir and people like that and, and Raf and whereas Alex is definitely more of an intellectual and will have, you know, all these pick edits and serious takes and he has those serious conversations with the other podcasts. And I think they bounce off of each other really well in that sense. They almost give off a bit of a father-son mentality sometimes the way Alex will dig at Matisse. And then Matisse will come right back at him with something that about some kind of young thing that Alex won't understand or something. It's, it's brilliant. I love their chemistry. And it's honestly, it's so much fun being on the byline. I highly recommend if anyone hasn't isn't listening to the byline already, then just go and do it. It's such, such a good community. And I'm learning so much from the people both within the community and from Alex and Matisse themselves. Yeah, and and I'd I'd echo what Quinlan said about that. But if if we if we have to give an answer to the question, I've got two possibilities for you guys. Um, the first one is um, is uh, is Alex Armani, and the second one is Matisse Gold. <laughs> so oh. those are my two. Those are those are my two answers, and I'm not going to deviate from either one. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, it was a, it was a great question. I thought it's it's prob- it's either going to work out really well. Or I'm just gonna get DM from Matisse, DM from Alex. No, nope. oh, no. Well, in all seriousness, big respect. If I can just say too, big respect to Alex and big respect to Matisse because they both are they both are brilliant content creators. And um, I know I've learned a lot from both of them. And part of the byline community, I've learned a lot from Quinlan and from you know anyone that's part of that community. And really, I've learned a lot from people on the on the Chelsea FT community as well that I that I interact with Matt, including yourself. So. Um, you know, big respect, big respect to everyone out there that's creating content. Hundred percent agreed with that. Yeah, I think Alex Goldberg's obviously podcast. I think it was the start of all Chelsea podcasts, really. And I think um, without him, I think there wouldn't be as many podcasts on the around right now as there are. Um, so next um, question comes from Dieter Hutz. Uh, he's got quite a few questions, some about Chelsea, some about football in general, and a couple of uh, non-football related questions. So we'll try and get through them all. First of all, he asks, how many points will Chelsea get at the end of the season? I'll let Patrick answer this one. Oh, I'm trying to remember what we're on now. Um, um, this is horrible that I don't even remember off the top of my head where we are. We're like, 51 now. We're 51. We're on 51 right now, and we have, was uh, it? Nine, nine, nine games points? left. So 27 points left, huh? Um, okay. Um, uh, I'm going to go for 72 points. That might, be, that might be wishful thinking on my part, but I'm going to go 72. And Quinlan, what do you think? I think a good end to the season would be getting 23, 24 points out of those potential 27. So, I mean, that's that's a definitely a tall ask, but I think that's what, something we need. We can't afford to drop points if we want top four. So I'm going to be confident and say, yeah, 75 points. Nice. I mean, 
Yeah, I really I prefer said, friendly. Yeah, I mean, I said before the Leeds game, um, we'd get 69. So I, I think I'll still stay with that because I think we've still got Man City, still yeah. got Leicester and a couple of difficult games. So I expect to drop a few points, but we'll have to wait and see. Uh, his next question kindly follows up and says, will Chelsea get top four? I uh, just want a simple yes or no, Quinlan. Yeah. Will we get top four? Yes. Patrick? Yes. I love the positivity. and I, I also think we will get top four. I think there's a lot, a lot of teams that can drop out. So uh, His third question is, who will be the top goal scorer in the Champions League this season? Ooh. Um, oh, uh, um, Erling Haaland. Interesting. Quinlan, who do you think? I am going to go for maybe a left field one, maybe not. I'm going to go for Lewandowski just purely based on the fact that I think Bayern will get a lot further than um, than Dortmund will, which means that Lewandowski will have more chances to score a lot more goals than Haaland. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> I, I'm I'm actually going to go with a completely biased one. I'm going to say Olivier Giroud. I, I imagine. He's, he's, up, he's up there right now. I think if we can get to the semi-finals, I think we've got a decent chance. It'd be good, wouldn't it, to to have that? I mean, top scorer in Europa League a couple of seasons back, and he's shown his pedigree in Europe. So if he if he did, then props to him. And yeah, that definitely he deserves another year on his contract. If so, one hundred percent. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, his next question is: Can Leipzig win the Bundesliga this season? Quinlan, I'll let you answer that one first. I think no. I think they're a strong size, and I definitely think that they've got a lot of potential over the next few years to do so, especially as the Bayern players get older. But right now, Bayern are just such a powerhouse. I know they've slipped a couple of times this season relative to last one, um, but they've already won the Club World Cup, and they've, they're an immense squad. They're just so good individually, and as a team together, I, I can't see them not winning it again. Um, Patrick, do you think Leipzig have got a chance? Um, I don't, and and I, and I've got a. I completely agree with everything that Quinlan just said. But I would also add in, you know, Bayern's buying power across the Bundesliga is just phenomenal. Like, you know, they've already been able to announce. I mean, just an example of that: the fact that they've able they've already been able to amount to announce Upa Meccano coming in, you know, in the summer against their next biggest rival. You know, against their next biggest rival in Leipzig, where you know. The fact that that can already be announced, and you have to you have to wonder is Upa Meccano, and this is not questioning his professionalism at all, but just human nature here. You know, can he really be you know all there when he's already you know one foot out the door in the summer? You know, and you know, and you're talking about one of you know Leipzig's best best players, and um, you know, um, just that team is just dripping with quality. I mean, you know, you've got Lewandowski, you know, like what was it last weekend, you know, Dortmund were two nil up. And then, you know, within the span of 10 minutes, um, Lewandowski had already put in two goals and then they went on to win the game. What five, two, I believe. So, um, you know, it's just, you know, even though Bayern's had unquestionable defensive issues this season, you know, compared to their standard, of course, um, uh, they're just they're just like you know lo, you know miles ahead of everybody else in terms of you know your Kimmicks your um, you know Lewandowski's I mean just um, just a, an incredible amount of talent in that team. Yeah, I agree. I think Bayern Munich have got such a power in the Bundesliga that I think no one's going to get anywhere near them for at least the next few years. Um, as you said, with the Upamecano transfer, they've 
they've already bought one player from Leipzig. I, I, I could see him going for one or two more and just poaching again round German yeah. football because that's what they do best. Yep. Uh, it's a question of whether they want to. You know, like that. I mean, if they want to, they make it happen. It's just, it's really incredible. Yeah. Um, going into the final two questions, uh, completely out of the realms of football. Uh, his next question is, what is your favorite meal? So I'll let Quinn then answer this one. Uh, oh, yeah, it's probably out of the blue. Um, <laughs> off the top of my head, I, I'm partial to a KFC. I, li- I like my chicken. So, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that. Mighty Bucket for one, uh, large fries, Pepsi Max, I'm sorted. Um, Patrick, what's your favorite meal? First of all, shout out to Quinlan. That, sound, that sounds awesome, my man. Nice. Um, yeah. Um, my meal would be um, like a good steak, you know, medium uh, with a baked potato, you know, fully loaded um, and, you know, a side of broccoli with that. And uh, guys, forgive me. I'm from the southern United States. We, and I know this is completely against the rules, you know, in the UK, but sweetened iced tea, which I know – a lot of people are like, you know, there's no such thing, but here there is. And unfortunately, I, you know, for a lot of people, I like it. Um, so that would be my meal. That is, that, they're, both, they're both good meals. Um, for me, I'm always a pizza man for me. Uh, yeah. I, I, I love a pizza, yeah. um, especially when you customize it, you make your own. It, they're, just, they're just brilliant to have. You can have so many different combinations as well. Um, so it, Depending on the day you have, you can choose, pick and choose. Is it pineapple uh, on pizza for you, yes or no, though? That's the question. No, pineapple is a yeah, no, no, no way. Oh, it's an absolute yes for me. Oh, no. Pat- Patrick, <laughs> I'm sorry, but you're going to have to leave now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's a, there's a big debate, you know, among a couple of people on the FT about that. Um, you know, Kamal and, uh, you know, um, in fact, one of the one of the other podcasts that's out there, um, the... Uh, um that that's out there they have they have that debate every episode um it's uh Kamal, kamal's podcast which is uh the star spangled banter i believe is what it's called and uh <laughs> that there's a big debate among their hosts about whether pineapple and pizza is a thing yeah i mean we we did have both andrew and kamal on um in one of the episodes before, and that that was the exact debate as well. It was and see, and, and I'm Team Andrew on that one because I know Kamal can't stand pineapple on pizza. So, yeah, uh, I mean, Kamal, if you're watching this, I'm, I'm Team Kamal. Yeah, I was gonna say, I hope I hope we can still be friends, even though even though we disagree on pizza toppings. Oh, it's a, it's, a, it's a it's the most legendary debate going. Hundred <laughs> percent, yeah. And the final one, which is also a bit of a outfield one. What books are you currently reading? I'll let Patrick answer first. Uh, what books am I currently reading? Um, so I'm, I'm kind of a self, I like a, I like a lot of self-improvement books. Um, so there's a book called uh, Perfectly Yourself that a guy named Matthew Kelly, who's a, he's a, he's a, he's kind of a motivational speaker, but he's, you know, he's on the, He'd probably be on the religious side of things, but um, I'm always about things about, you know, self-improvement, you know, in a positive way, you know, not mental health is such a big thing to me. Um, So anything where, you know, books that kind of tell you, you know, don't be so hard on yourself and, you know, and, 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 you know, it's perfectly yourself is kind of about, you know, 
accepting that, you know, you know, no, none of us are perfect, but at the same time, um, you know, you know, you need to, you know, you need to acknowledge when you do things well, you need to, you know, and I think that's so important these days, especially for you guys over there in the UK that have been on lockdown where mental health is such a big thing, because, you know, if you, if you follow the stuff on social media and everything else, I won't get into that, but um, I think that, uh, you know, I read books about that to kind of remind myself, you know, for my own self-esteem to, you know, that we all have, you know, that we all have good things about us too. And to, you know, make sure that we give ourselves credit for stuff like that. So that's kind of the book I'm reading at the moment. And Quinlan, are you reading any books at the moment? I am. Yeah. First of all, that was a great shout from Patrick. I really like that, that, um, that perspective on things. Um, yeah, the UK's, uh, we're getting towards the end of lockdown, but, uh, still in there right now and it can be tough for a lot of people. So really appreciate that sentiment. Um, but I'm reading uh, a friend of mine. Um, I, I'm not really into self-help books, but, um, a friend of mine bought me this book called Ego is the Enemy, which is a, a book um, by some famous motivational speaker. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. And it's it's a book about managing your own ego um, in regards to helping yourself as a businessman. Uh, in the sense that like a lot of people, when they're starting up their own businesses and self-startups, they tend to let their ego get the better of them. And um, when it comes to decision making, when starting up their own businesses, and because uh, um, I'm kind of technically self-employed i work in the music industry so um i'm yeah i'm technically self-employed and uh it's helpful to uh just have a look at those things and check yourself every now and then especially when it comes to your own ego so yes yeah, it's, it's it's useful i'm getting through it slowly but surely because it's not again 100 percent my thing but uh, it's it's interesting yes yeah, it's always nice to get a new perspective on things regardless of whether you like it or not yeah the both seem like very interesting books i mean at the moment with me studying still at the moment in my final year got a few months left I am currently resigned to just studying uh, with my anatomy books at the moment. I'm currently with uh, Atlas of Anatomy, uh, Grey's Anatomy, and then some clin osteopathic clinical reasoning. So not any fun books that you guys would want to read, but <laughs> at the moment, I I'd say the last non-academic book I read was I have the Didier Drogba um, autobiography that I was reading. That would have been in the summer, so... Uh, that is a very good book. I'd highly recommend it to anyone that hasn't read it already. Uh, very good book for just looking at Didier Drogba's um, career before Chelsea, all his struggles, um, his time in the French League. I think it's, it's a, again, it's a quite motivational book to read um, for someone to, um, especially if you're into having a football career. Um, he speaks a lot about that, and it's really good. Um Going into the final question from Alf10CFC, uh, very good, very popular uh, listener um, to the articles and the podcasts. His um, question is, what do you think of Pulisic's future and does he have a spot in the first team? Uh, Patrick, I'll let you answer that since you're the American. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, you know, I really do think he does. Um, I'm not... You know, you know, there's been reports out this week about he's ready to leave. But, you know, I believe I was listening to Simon Phillips and Dan McCarthy's podcast yesterday. And they were they were commenting that, you know, don't believe, you know, that, you know, that there's rumors out there are not necessarily all that credible. Um, you know, I think, you know, obviously, if things don't change within, you know, 12 to 18 months, we might be having a different conversation. But I definitely think he does. You know, the one concern I think that we all have is we've seen what he can do. We saw, 
you know, in the restart, you know, what he can do. The problem is, is, is he going to be able to stay fit enough to do that? And I, I would still argue, I know he's what, 22 and he's, um, you know, I, I still think he's coming into his body, you know, and, you know, you know, you've seen that a lot with young players. I mean, you know, you know, Callum and Ruben, you know, with, with their struggles, but, you know, you still have a long career ahead of you. I think it would be short-sighted to give up on him now because, you know, I even saw it today in the first 15 minutes, you know, when he, like he's one of the few players on our team that one will get wide and number two will take on players, has the confidence to take on players one-on-one. And, you know, we, we have a lot of players that seem to be too timid to do that. So for me, he, he definitely has still has a place in our team, you know, provided that he can, you know, find a, you know, consistent run of fitness to, you know, I think he can still be a great contributor to this team. Perfect. Um, Quinlan, what's your thoughts on Pulisic? I definitely think he has a future. I think he's, he gives to, he gives to me one of the impressions that he'd be a player that if we were to let go at this stage, it'd be one that we would lament in a few years time, provided his fitness stays consistent. I think it's very similar to De Bruyne in that sense, who can't stay fit all the time, but he's still considered one of the world's best players. I think I echo the sentiments of Patrick that said that his ability to get out wide and tackle players one-on-one is pretty unique relative to maybe Hudson Odoi is the only other true winger in the, in the squad right now, um, which is something that we absolutely 100% need. And that's maybe even something I'd look to bolster in the summer. Um, in terms of like selling players, um, I'd probably be looking, not to say that I would want to do this, but I would be, if we had to, um, gun to my head, I'd be looking at selling someone like a Ziyech instead of a Pulisic, just because I think return on investment is more important to get back from Ziyech, who's a little bit older um, and still has chance to prove himself in, in, in the league abroad other than Pulisic, who I feel could be really prudent to our to our plans in the future um again he offers a lot of uh, different options uh, for a wide player um he can play as a wing back obviously as well potentially uh, even though he's not getting back an awful lot in the game today but um, a brilliant talent we know we like so we know he's got it but i i definitely feel like we're getting a bit like a broken record in the sense that we want to see restart Pulisic back again if we want to call it that and i think he needs to prove to, to us now that that period for him was not just a blip of good form and that he can do it on a consistent basis. Obviously, minutes are important to him and Tuchel needs to give him more minutes to prove himself. Whether he can do that is another question, but no, I don't I don't want to see him be sold at all and I think he could be very important. Yeah, I think I'm going to have to echo what you guys have said. Um, for me, Pulisic, I know we're going to have to sell players if we are going to get Haaland. I think it's going to have to be some at least one big player, but I think Pulisic would be one of the last people on my list that I'd sell and it would only be for a very expensive price possibly going towards the 80-90 millions if I'm honest I think he's a player that he has such a high ceiling in terms of uh, his ability and I think again with what Patrick said about getting into his own body I think he is that, that at that age that he still needs to get into his own his adult body so um Hopefully he'll be able to get through these injuries, become a better player, and then show his true form. Um, but we'll have to wait and see on that. And it's going to be up to Christian at the end of the day to decide for himself whether he has a future at Chelsea or not. Um, so that brings an end to a wonderful pod with uh, two wonderful guests that I will definitely be getting on again because they've both been absolutely brilliant. Before we wrap things up, 
uh, if you guys could quickly tell the listeners where they can find you on socials, start with Patrick. Um, first of all, Matt, thank you so much for having us on. Um, you know, th- thank you for what you thank you for what you do. You know, with all the content that you got, that you and your team produce here, um, it's you know good stuff. And I I encourage everyone to check out Matt's page and Marv and everyone Campbell and everyone that's on the team here at at, at Worldwide Chelsea. They they're a great group of people. Um, as far as finding me, you can find me on Twitter at um, at, at at ptp underscore coyb. And I, I do match previews, match reviews. I'm, I'm currently doing a series on women in football in, in, in honor of National Women's History Month in the U.S. and the U.K. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of other projects that I might be doing, so I'd love it if you check it out. Brilliant. And Quinlan, if you could tell the listeners where they can find you. Yeah, sure, man. So my at is the same as my name. It's just at Quinlan Barker. Um, I offer... My content is kind of varies from day to day. I'll do the occasional pick edit, and people are always welcome to use those. Um, regardless, I, I'll offer my my honest take. So I try and keep my opinions as measured as possible. Um, and I'm still very new to the FT as a whole. I've, I've only really been taking it seriously since maybe late January, um, and I, I'm loving it so far. I've still got an awful lot to learn. But um, like Patrick's opinions are brilliant, and Worldwide Chelsea's again is something that's very new to me. But I'm already loving my time. Uh, talking to you guys and being um, part of that community as well so it's it's really good fun being part of the ft and um if you fancy following me and yeah, please do and also good luck to your graduation as well matt mate because uh, I, I graduated myself last year and dissertation writing and all that stuff is a proper slog so hope it goes well man yeah i mean i've got three months until graduation hopefully we'll get for it and actually hopefully i'll actually get a proper graduation because i imagine you probably didn't get one yeah i still haven't had mine that the, my uni are talking about maybe having one in november which would be interesting because that would be a full 18 months since i did my last assignment to, to graduate but you know it's, it's better than nothing i guess but yeah yeah i hope you get one mate yeah yeah i mean uh, they're, they're currently talking about late july if if lockdown proceeds it is hopefully get one but and, we'll have to and, wait and see and, and, and if i can say two big respect to both of you on that for finishing that up that's a that's a lot of work and you know, a lot of a lot of time and dedication to finish all that up. So big respect to both of you on that. Appreciate that, man. Yeah, appreciate it. Everyone, uh, What now you've finished listening to the podcast, you can go and follow both these guys. I can wholeheartedly say they are both two wonderful guys on the football Twitter. Obviously, I've followed Patrick for a while and just recently followed Quinlan. And I can say that it's no regret when following these two. They both provide great content. And I'm sure they will continue to provide great content to the future. Uh, So just want to say thank you to all for listening. Um, We'll be back hopefully next week. Uh, We're trying to get an episode up. Uh, I've got a few personal issues uh, next week. So we'll be a bit to and fro if we can get something together. But in definitely two weeks time, we're looking to get another special guest on. So stay tuned, everyone, for hopefully the upcoming episodes. And I just thank you two for both coming on uh it's been a pleasure to have you guys on thank you thank you it's been an honor to be on